Hi, I'm Craig. I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 244 and we're talking about travel, poverty and how to help out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all wondered what to do when a kid comes up on the street, maybe selling a book or asking for money, or when you see a, a mother and child sitting in a doorstep begging. And it's really hard because there's all sorts of, I don't know, ethical and practical decisions about giving um, but yet you're in a place with poverty and you feel like you should be able to help out yeah it's a different issue in different different countries because in some countries there's a really good um, benefit system and people who are begging really shouldn't be on the streets at all in fact they've probably got more money than you do other people are really on the verge of life and death and you don't know who's who or what to do yeah, it's difficult. So today we're talking with Giovanna Mashi, who's a senior director at Kiva.org, about how helping local businesses can improve local living conditions for everyone, and also about Kiva's part in that process. It's not directly tied into somewhere you might be travelling, but I hope you enjoy a look into how we can all contribute further to the places that we visit. Mm. Well, how about us this week? Uh, we have been planning a Europe-wide adventure, pretty much. Yeah, you know us. Our plans change at the drop of a hat. <laughs> and they're dropping again. <laughs> yeah. yep. People keep saying, so you're going to the Canaries, right? I'm like, oh, no, that changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still on the cards, but uh, we, what we might do is spend a, a month or two traveling outside of Spain and then come back and still head south and we still don't know where we're going to go. What I was thinking we could do is set up a couple of options on the website and have people like vote for the different options. <laughs> Plan our life. Yeah. We're useless at making decisions, so you can make the decisions for us. We are quite terrible at that. Well, but, um, we've yeah. had a good week the last week. Apart from just planning our, uh, planning our life, we have also been hanging out in Acarunia, which is where we live at the moment. And... Um, we watched the Olympics opening ceremony with our friends Oliver and Guillet and prepared a delicious British meal. Yeah, thanks to the people that helped out on Facebook and helping us choose the meal to cook. <laughs> and that <laughs> ended up being bangers and mash with onion gravy. Bangers and mash, pretty straightforward, but yep. the onion gravy was, was something new for me. Yeah, and then we finished it off with a glass of port, which, while being from Portugal, is very British. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. The, the British basically created the entire port industry. Same mm-hmm. with Madeira. It probably wasn't very Bordeaux. British to drink it out of an espresso cup, though, because no, we don't have no. any wine glasses. <laughs> <laughs> any nice wine glasses at all. But anyway, we're looking forward to our friend Sabina arriving uh, later this week. And yeah, very so, exciting. Um, yeah, we've, she came down to travel in New Zealand. We met her then. Uh, she was an English About student of seven mine. seven or eight years ago. And then, yeah, we um, met her in Linz in Austria a few years ago and spent some time together there. And She's from uh, there. Yeah, and so it'll be good to see her and good times. Yeah. Good times. Remember, if you're on the move, booking your hostels through the Indie Travel Podcast is easy, cheap, and it really helps us out. And we've recently updated our on-site booking tool with more photos, maps, and reviews to help you make better choices about where you're staying. Go to IndieTravelPodcast.com slash hostels. Now, today's interviewee is Kiva Senior Director of Global Portfolio, Giovanna Marshi, and she'll introduce herself a bit more uh, when we begin to talk. She's worked on community development projects in Mexico and Paraguay and has done research on the interplay between ecotourism and economic development in Costa Rica. She's also got a BA in economics from Yale and an MBA from the Yale School of Management. Well, let's get on with the interview. 
Today I'm happy to welcome onto the show Giovanna Mashi, uh, Senior Director of Global Portfolio at Kiva.org. Giovanna, welcome to the NT Travel Podcast. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. It's uh, good having you on the show. We're going to cover uh, kind of a range of topics today around uh, microfinance, tourism, and responsible travel. But to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, Kiva? Sure. Um, so as you said, I'm Giovanna and I'm the senior director for global portfolio at Kiva. Um, what that means is I oversee Kiva's, um, partnerships around the world. Um, I Kiva four years ago, uh, when we were still a smaller organization and I come with a background in, uh, microfinance and economic development specifically focused on Latin America. Um, Kiva is um, the f- world's first and largest micro-lending website where kind of people from all over the world can help uh, alleviate poverty ma- by making $25 loans on our site. So if you were to go to our website, kiva.org, you would find profiles of individuals around the world, um, their picture and their story, and um, the loan that they are um, requesting. So maybe it's a $250 loan to Maria in Bolivia, and you as a lender in uh, the United States, England, wherever, could um, contribute $25 towards that loan. And maybe nine other people come and um, also give Maria $25 and that $250 loans becomes fully funded um, through kind of crowdfunding on the internet. That loan gets... um, transferred to the institutions that we work with on the ground um, to who give the money to Maria. And then as Maria pays back, you as a lender um, receive your, your capital back um, at 0% interest. So as you receive capital back, you and your $25 comes back, you can decide to make a, um, you know, a loan to somebody else in Kenya, for example. And that's a little bit about how it works. So I know in the past... Kiva mainly operated in uh, developing countries, but recently you've been looking at urban poverty in um, more traditionally developed Western countries as well. Yeah, so in 2009, in June 2009, we actually launched um, in the United States in our first kind of uh, quote-unquote developed country, um, working with um, microfinance institutions in the U.S., um, supporting micro-borrowers, um, uh, yeah, small entrepreneurs in the United States. And uh, so we've been doing that since uh, since 2009. Basically, our, our hope at Kiva is that um, we can create a, sort of a, a marketplace and a, a place where anybody from around the world can go and make a loan to anywhere else in the world. And we believe that kind of poverty and that being in many cases kind of lack of opportunity exists everywhere, both kind of in the developed world and in the developing world. And so that was kind of our first step into expansion in the developed world. And in fact, in the first days of us launching in the U.S., somebody from Cambodia lent to somebody in the United States, which is sort of a, a small example of exactly what we want to create, just kind of everyone around the world supporting everyone else, regardless of where they are. So it's a, it's a very different take on, uh, on support and, and on aid, I guess. Can you talk a little bit about the, the economics of, of aid gifting versus the, the micro-lending model that Kiva's uh, supporting? Definitely. I think that... Um, 
the, the micro lending model and what Kiva's tried uh, to do is sort of uh, the expression giving a hand up instead of a hand out. Um, and the idea being that certainly there is a segment of the population that um, can go beyond just kind of getting aid or um, a, a grant that doesn't need to be paid back. And what's happened in many um, countries where Kiva now works is um, pre, you know, se- several decades ago um, in particular, there was mostly aid flowing to these countries and, and um, grant funding and uh, organizations, particularly government organizations, created um, quote unquote loan programs to provide funding to small entrepreneurs or farmers to, um, you know, start their business, grow their business, um, increase their, their farming output. Um, but then, uh, we're told that this was a loan, but was really, um, in, in effect a grant and there was not, um, much follow-up and, by the part of these organizations to get uh, the borrowers to repay. And so in many countries, this created a, a level of dependency and something that kind of the microfinance industry uh, found out is that many borrowers um, sort of, it's important to instill the fact that this is a loan that needs to be repaid because it's a way that individuals can start to access the formal financial system um, and start to move up from kind of the aid, traditional aid funding into something that allows them to really kind of take ownership of their business and really kind of feel like they have a stake in what's happening and start to get them kind of more inclusive into the financial system because as they develop, you know, it's going to be less and less likely that they'll get kind of handouts and aid. They're going to get loans from banks that they need to pay back. And so this was the idea to start them on that path. And that's, um, kind of the direction that Kiva felt was, was really important. And we liked the idea that, um, this was an opportunity, creating an opportunity for the borrower and, um, something that was, uh, very dignified and very kind of positive so that even on our website, the lender kind of, and the borrower had a, um, very even connection such that it wasn't that the lender was just giving money to the borrower, but this was, they were kind of on a level playing field. The lender was making a loan to the borrower who had to repay it and, um, really moving away from, um, you know, we based Kiva on the kind of child sponsorship model, but kind of trying to give it a more, um, hopeful, I guess, approach. And also Uh the side benefit has been that for lenders, they get their money back and they can support somebody else. So really this idea of micro lending for Kiva has been an opportunity to kind of support more people just through one $25 loan. Um, and certainly that's been the case in the microfinance industry in general. It's given an opportunity to make something that's sustainable and scalable. So when I lend uh, through Kiva, that money then goes to uh, another organization that then uh, disperses the loan and, and looks after that. Are they charging interest to the uh, the person that's borrowing the money? Yeah, so how it works is that we partner with um, organizations on the ground, mostly microfinance institutions, um, that know their market and enable us um, to reach uh, more borrowers and borrowers in more remote areas. So when you fund a loan on Kiva, 
the money gets channeled through a microfinance institution on the ground. And um, those institutions are the ones that are responsible for finding the borrowers, for doing the due diligence to ensure that the borrower has the capacity to repay the loan and then and that they're not um, you know, putting them into too much debt and managing the collection of repayments um, and just kind of managing the relationship with the borrower. So to cover those operational costs, the institution has to charge um, an interest rate. And when we um, partner with institutions, we look very carefully at both the financial and the social aspect of that institution to ensure that one, we're partnering with an organization that from a financial perspective, um, we have at least some level of confidence that they can uh, effectively manage this money that is being kind of channeled through them. And from a social perspective, that the interest rates they're charging are in line with the market and um, that they have a strong social mission and also that um, they're using um, Kiva funds to reach borrowers that they otherwise might not have been able to reach um, with, you know, a source of capital that would be at a higher interest rate. Hmm. So what are the kind of things uh, that you see people taking out loans for? What are the, the kind of general general businesses or maybe some examples? Sure. So, you know, there's a great variety. We have, um, depending on, on the region and the country, um, certainly many agricultural businesses, you know, raising of pigs um, and other animals, farming in general, uh, we also see a lot of um, different types of retail stores, um, even, uh, you know, in the most, some of the most remote areas, you'll find um, small little kind of general stores in the community. Um, so there's a lot of supporting of, of those. And um, additionally, there might be kind of some more home-based businesses or people that are doing weavings or um, selling of crafts or things out of their homes. Um, and that, you know, what they are depends on, on the region. But uh, those are some of, I would say, the most common. Um, and we're starting to see on Kiva some additional types of loans, like um, loans for uh, solar lamps, green, kind of what we would call green loans. Um, we have a partnership in Bolivia to provide loans for uh, kind of water and sanitation development for certain uh, families. So um, we're trying to see with Kiva how we can start to fund a variety of different projects um, to provide opportunities um, with our low-cost capital that maybe wouldn't exist otherwise. So I guess as you talk about that, I immediately think of traveling through Southeast Asia, traveling through places like Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, where you see people out working in the field and you know they're, they're working hard, um, but they're maybe not getting a, a good amount from the work they're doing. You can't just walk up to them in the rice field and hand them some cash and go, here, go buy yourself some some extra seeds or anything like that. Is Kiva kind of a bridge for responsible travelers to be able to uh, feed money into that cycle responsibly? Definitely. I think that something that we wanted to create was exactly that, this oppor- creating an opportunity for people who, you know, want to be able to support um, individuals in other parts of the world, either because they've traveled and, and seen it or either even because they just have never had the opportunity to travel 
people into Kiva kind of can learn and, and see another part of the world that um, maybe they just wouldn't have had access to otherwise. And I think what we want to be able to do is kind of, um, in some sense, kind of uh, democratize uh, this kind of, of support and provide an opportunity for people who um, want to um, support a farmer in Cambodia um, to find an easy way to do so, do so through Kiva. Um, that's hopefully kind of uplifting and, and inspiring and reaches some of the people that um, you may see when you're traveling. When you say inspiring, do you mean um, because they, the the borrower feels empowered because they're making money and and paying it back, or do you mean from the from the lender's point of view? I think both. I think that um, you know when I've lent on Kiva, I've been really um, inspired by the stories of the individuals, and you know given. My job at Kiva, I've been lucky enough to, to visit some of the borrowers themselves and just hearing their stories and, and what the loan has been able um, to do to, for them and, and what they've been able to make happen with the loan um, has been uh, really wonderful and, and the changes that they've made in, in their own lives and, and the lives of their community in some cases um, is, is really incredible. And um, I think that that's inspiring for, hopefully inspiring for a lender to see um, as, as they make a loan, uh, either through the initial story that they see on the website or through updates that they may get um, throughout the course of the loan. Um, and also, you know, for the borrower, I think um, in cases when I visited some borrowers and I've um, let them know of, uh, you know, hey, you had, you know, 50 people lend to you, it's pretty exciting for them um, to kind of feel the support of, of a community of people. And I think that in many cases, uh, that inspires them to, to do more and do better. Mm, absolutely. The, the opposite side of that, I guess, is it must be quite stressful if the, the business plan that you've made to pay back this loan doesn't work out. Uh, what happens if there's, uh, I don't know, a drought or a flood and this farmer's crops get wiped out? Does Kiva kind of do something around that? or? So, uh, you know, as a lender on Kiva, um, you bear the risk and, and take the risk of loss if the borrower doesn't repay. Um, and we found that our lenders are quite um, risk uh, tolerant and, and forgiving of, of losses as long as they understand why. And if there's been a drought or, you know, some emergency in the family, um, oftentimes we've gotten lenders saying, oh, can you just tell the borrower to not worry about it? Don't, th that he doesn't need to pay me back. And, you know, I think it, we want to encourage the borrower to still try um, because it's important um, to kind of try to fulfill obligations as much as possible. But at the same time, um, you know, I think we have a, a lender community that is relatively understanding and forgiving and, and wants to support the borrower throughout their, their challenges. And so something that oftentimes the institution on the ground will do is they might uh, restructure the loan, um, you know, give the borrower a few extra months to repay or maybe give them an additional injection of capital um, because they need to replant their crops. Um, so there's a variety of different tools depending on the situation um, that that can be utilized. And at Kiva, we want 
to try to be a really flexible source of capital such that um, borrowers could have, you know, longer loan terms um, that enable them to uh, repay the loan in a way that's most comfortable for them, even if there's um, some kind of external shock um, that, that might make it more difficult than anticipated. Cool. Well, as we wrap up, can you talk a little bit about how micro lending fits into the, the development puzzle in terms of economics, um, of aid, government grants, uh, voluntary work and voluntary programs that people can take part of? Where does micro lending kind of fit into the cycle? Sure. So, you know, micro lending is one kind of intervention um, in terms of trying to alleviate poverty and, and certainly uh, isn't the only one, as, as you've alluded to. I think that micro lending is often and, and to date has been best suited for some of uh, what you would consider sort of the working poor. Um, and, you know, there's certain segments of the population or certain, um, you know, countries that are in a particular situation where maybe micro lending isn't the best option at a given point in time. Um, you know, what we don't want to do with microfinance is create a situation where you're saddling people with debt who, um, you know, shouldn't be managing debt. And um, so kind of as, as I feel like we've learned in particular in the United States in the last few years, um, you know, debt isn't for everybody. And it's a really important tool that can um, provide a lot of opportunity, but um, can also create a lot of problems if not managed carefully. Therefore, I think it's extremely important that um, it be used in a population that is working and that has the capacity to repay. Um, there are certain uh, people that are in a certain segment of society and strata of society or have um, illnesses or other things that may cause them to be in a situation that doesn't allow them to work or alone would not be of that much help because there's not an income generating activity that allows them to repay the loan. So I think um, it's a really powerful tool, but it has to be kind of harnessed um, in, in the right way. And I think there's you know, other interventions that are extremely important. You know, microfinance doesn't necessarily build roads to a community. So you can um, create great businesses and great, um, you know, provide improved livelihoods in a community. But, you know, the next step is if they get better roads, then they can sell their products in other parts of town or other parts of the country. And that's not something that, you know, necessarily microfinance can directly do. So there's certainly a role for, for government, um, for, you know, aid agencies to provide um, support for infrastructure development. Um, and certainly there's um, a place for, for grants. And, you know, we've seen some organizations that maybe provide very small seed funding to small businesses to get started. And then from there, they can move on to, to, to financing um, or, you know, healthcare or other things that um, with microfinance, we want to see if there's some ways that, that can be addressed. But, but it's not always going to be the right mechanism, and um, certain populations need, need other interventions. Giovanna, thank you very much for coming on the Indie Travel Podcast today. It's been fascinating talking, uh, talking about all of these issues, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. 
Well, Patrick Murphy wrote in on Facebook after we did the interview to talk about interest rates and fees for some of the field partners. Since they're making money, why aren't you? Uh, the lender who's funding the loan. He also noted the extremely high cost of some of the interest rates and charges. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point. And there's certainly enough stories in magazines and economics forums and things like that about micro-lending in general. But at the end of the day, I feel that having the option of business finance is better than not having it. So it's up to you looking at the, the story and looking at the loan that's happening to decide if you'd like to fund a project and if you think it's going to be profitable enough uh, you can see the institution's profit margins and average yield on portfolio uh, on the website, and you can also compare that with the uh, the inflation rate and things like that in the country that you're lending to. Yeah, it's not a perfect system, but at least it is a system. Yeah, yeah. I guess at the end of the day, nothing's going to be perfect, you know, and you're going to have things that work and things that don't. So. Yeah, and within that, I mean... Like Patrick said, it's some of the field partners, not necessarily all of them, that are charging the really high rate. So if you can look into it in a little bit more detail, then you can have better choices about what you're lending to. Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, thanks, Patrick, for bringing that up. Sorry it came in after we did the interview and couldn't ask Giovanna about it. And, of course, thanks again to Giovanna Masu from Kiva.org for coming on the show. If you've never used Kiva and you're keen to give it a go, you can get a free $25 trial of Kiva right now by visiting indietravelpodcast.com slash kiva trial that's k-i-v-a trial all one word and uh, there'll be a link in the show notes at indietravelpodcast.com uh, we had a correction come in from last week's show uh, chris christensen from the amateurtraveler.com uh, said that he was just about to do a, an interview on segovia and uh, the length of that aqueduct is actually 32 kilometers so the place that we were told was the end of the aqueduct wasn't the end of the aqueduct it wasn't all. the end of the aqueduct i think it just went underground or something but it looked like the end someone we were driving past they were like look that's the end wasn't the end <laughs> Uh, well, thanks, Chris, for sending that in. Lots of other things have been happening in the community too. Spencer is asking about the best ebook reader for travel. Sia is flying Jet Airways in India and wondering if anyone else has flown them. Uh, his he's flying with his four-year-old daughter and wondering if there's anything uh, special they'll do or anything else to look out for. And Roger is wondering about a budget for his five-month trip. Yeah, it looks like a pretty good trip. <laughs> really does. I really can't deal with looking at other people's trips. I'm so jealous. <laughs> of course, there's plenty more going on. So if you'd like to meet other travellers or you've got a question about what we talked about today or anything to do with travel, indietravelpodcast.com slash forums. Uh, you can get a free community account and join in. Don't forget that you can help the Indie Travel Podcast stay travelling by booking through us. So visit indietravelpodcast.com slash flights slash tours and slash insurance. And the updated slash hostels, which is a much nicer looking hostel booking experience. Yeah, I've, I really like the uh, the update it's got there. Well, for some non-monetary ways of helping us out, please tell your friends about Indie Travel Podcast. Um, sign us up under their iTunes account. <coughs> it's a cheeky way of doing it. Um, invite them to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Indie Travel. Or leave a five-star review for us in iTunes. Well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well.